Hi, Steve Addison here for the Movements Podcast, the podcast for people who want to multiply disciples and churches everywhere. Today is the second part of a conversation with Josh Howard about my latest book, Acts and the Movement of God from Jerusalem to the Ends of the Earth. It is good to sit down again a second time in order to talk about your new book. Let's recap a little bit what we, you know, where we got to last time. Yeah, well, we just took a a big picture overview of what's driving the movement of God in in the Book of Acts, and we looked at how the risen Lord brought the disciples back together and restored them through teaching through the word about why the Messiah must suffer and then rise again and why this gospel has to be proclaimed throughout the whole world. And then we talked a bit about the the pattern of repeated pattern of ministry and mission throughout the book of Acts. We see people uh, connecting and engaging with lostness we see them sharing the good news, the, the, the story of the Lord Jesus, his death, resurrection, especially in the book of Acts, and the call to repent and believe. And out of that came discipleship and church formation. And that, that pattern is going on throughout the whole uh, book of Acts. You know, we, we looked at it in, in chapter 2, but you get a, a really good picture of it, especially in in Acts 13 and and 14 with Paul and Barnabas, you know, the Spirit gives them the work to do uh, in 13, and then in 14 it says they completed the work the Spirit gave them to do, and it was all about going into empty fields, connecting with lostness, finding persons of peace, gospel leading to discipleship in community, and then they would circle back and raise up local leaders. And so they're multiplying uh, disciples, churches, and leaders as they go. That's that's the pattern throughout Acts. But, of course, along the way, there are all sorts of challenges and issues uh, popping up. And so in the book, we have, you know, we're going through the text, but every now and again, we're stopping it. Let's let, let's look at something at a deeper level. Um, and so, why don't we jump into some of those? Why don't we uh, Why don't we just start generally with the church, right? I mean, Acts lays a, a very strong foundational groundwork and 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 really foundation of of when the church was born and and how it spread. Well, the um, the aha moment for me was to realize that you know on the day of Pentecost, Spirit came in power. The word immediately went out. It hit the streets. And the fruit of that, that harvest of, of 3,000 new disciples was by the end of chapter 2, they're in community together. In church, the, the one church meeting across Jerusalem, but that one church meets in various locations. So in one sense, there's one church and there are many churches throughout Jerusalem, maybe hundreds of them. So the pinnacle of this day isn't just the spiritual experience. It's not just the preaching of the word. It's the making of disciples and the formation of what it means to be the the new people of God, the new Israel, the renewed Israel that 
the Lord has called into an, into existence. You know, Luke is just incredible in what he crams into a few verses, 36 to 47. He summarizes the life they have together in the church there in Jerusalem. At the same time, he's describing church, but he's also describing discipleship. You know, they repent and believe, they're baptized, they're celebrating Lord's Supper, they're worshiping, they're praying, they're loving on one another. They're giving generously. Um, all of these things are going are going on from house to house and in public places. And every single day, the Lord, the gospel's going out, and the Lord's adding to their number. And people say, "Well, oh, well, that's their model of church in the Book of Acts." Um, you know, we don't have to do that today. We live in a different world. And I'm thinking, okay, well, which one do you want to leave out? Fervent prayer, devoted to the teaching of the apostles, <laughs> generosity to the poor, you know, which of these things no longer apply? Of course, Luke is showing us, you know, this is what we should aspire to as the people of God in every place and in every age. Now, we can add all sorts of stuff to it if we want, but we need to know they're added extras, you know. Luke's boiled it down to the irreducible minimum. He, you can't take anything out of what he says in those few verses. And he's saying, guys, th this is what discipleship looks like wherever the gospel goes, wherever churches are formed, wherever disciples come together in community. This is what it should look like. Yeah, that's so good for us. You know, here in South Asia, the, all those all those verses that you're talking about have really given us not only a vision of what church could be, but really almost a set of diagnostics of what healthy churches look like. What do you think this means for us today as we look at yeah. this type of stuff? Well, I think the great thing is whether you're a, whatever form of church you call yourself or whatever structure, you can sit down with these 11 verses and just say, okay. How are we doing? And, um, you know, this is being done in, in church planning movements all around the world. We'll just we'll just take these characteristics in Acts 2 and we'll, how are we doing? You know, what which of these functions are, 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 are a part of our life together and which need to be added? Um, but it's the simplicity then. Everything else is extra. Um, and... You know, I'm I'm thinking of a situation right now. You know, one of the stories we tell in the book is uh, of a, a movement amongst um, uh, prostitutes in the red light district of Mumbai. And you know, every year thousands of girls are sold, sometimes by their parents or relatives, sometimes they're kidnapped. But the Nepali girls are sold into to slavery in in the red light district of of Mumbai. Thousands of them. And there's a ministry there called Hilltop of Hope, and they're rescuing rescuing young girls and, 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 and women out of this trade. But they're not only rescuing and helping them to, 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 to be able to earn an income themselves and, and giving them a safe place to be. These, these young women are coming to know Christ. And they're learning what it means to be the people of God together. They're planting churches in the red light district. And uh, so how are they going to do church? Well, you, the, you sit down with the scriptures in their language. You read those verses. 
And you say, well, what does this look like for us today? And piece by piece, they're discovering what it means to be the people of God. They're in the red light district, but also in the safe houses far away where some of them need to get out of that environment in the safe houses, but even some are being repatriated to the, the villages in Nepal, and they're either helping to form a church, a new church in that village, or they're already multiplying movements within Nepal. And it's just this simple model of church. And so Luke's saying, you know, whether it's AD 30 or whether it's, you know, AD 3000, <laughs> whether it's Nepal or New York, this is the people of God. And, you know, I, I know in other settings, um, where the believers in, you know, high uh, maximum security in the Texas prison system, they're, they're sitting down together as new disciples. How, how can we be together as the people of God here in this prison system? They've got the same scripture. They're just saying, well, what does that look like for us? Whatever form of church you're in or you're trying to plant, bring it back to this irreducible minimum and be careful what you add to it. And yep. the great thing is you can multiply that. Yeah. You can multiply. It's, it's so minimalist that it can jump cultures and age groups and education levels. It's simple but profound characteristics of the people of God as church, the people of God as disciples. Yeah. Another topic that I think goes right alongside of this is as disciples were made right through the book of Acts. And even right there in Acts 2, um, there were incredible signs and wonders that followed the church as it expanded, as it grew. Um, let's dive into that topic. What do you see the the part that signs and wonders played and still is playing, you know, throughout uh, modern day history? The reason Acts is so full of the supernatural, what we call supernatural, is because the main character in this whole story is the living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And this is what God does on his mission. Um, and so the power that's displayed, though, is not ever an end in itself. The power that's displayed is for the purpose of bringing God glory and drawing people to himself. And so you, you think about the, the, the place of signs and wonders in Jesus' ministry. You know, no place saw greater signs and wonders than, uh, you know, Peter's hometown of Capernaum. Jesus sort of stood at that, you know, the, the, the door of Peter's house and, and the whole town, maybe up to a thousand people came out and, and people were healed and demons were cast out. All of those things were going. Do you know, later on in the Gospels, Jesus condemns Capernaum because they've seen the signs and they haven't repented and believed. It's going to be worse for them than for Sodom on Judgment Day. And what he's saying here, guys, you know, I can do signs and wonders. And often he did, and that helped authenticate who he was and the word that he preached, and that continues in Acts. But he's saying there's a purpose. These are signs that point to the truthfulness of the gospel, to the, the person and work of the Lord Jesus. They never become an end in themselves. And for those that are so caught up in meeting after meeting after meeting, 
seeking the greater spiritual experience or the miracle, or Jesus would say, hey, they're meant for a lost world. And so about half the time that the gospel goes out, Luke identifies, you know, there was some supernatural event um, as part of that whole proclamation. But every time someone is saved, it's because they've heard the gospel. So they may or may not have seen a miracle, but it takes the gospel. I mean, not even Paul. He has this encounter with the Lord Jesus, a supernatural encounter, but he still says, Paul, you go into Damascus and you wait until I send Ananias to prophesy over you and I'll speak to Ananias through a vision. And and Paul gets the gospel and baptism and all of that through Ananias. So it still took the word. So it's not a movement of signs and wonders. It's a movement of the word bringing salvation that signs and wonders support and, and add momentum to. That the mission advances through miracles and martyrdom. You know, James is martyred. He loses his head, literally. Uh, Peter is set free by an angel and is rescued, you know, a miracle. But then Peter's on the run. He's got to exit Jerusalem. So there's this funny paradox that we also see in Jesus' life. life. You know, the miracle worker, there he is, bruised and beaten and hanging on a cross. And so we see the same pattern in Acts where these men and women of God, they're doing signs and wonders. They're proclaiming the gospel. It's advancing. And they're suffering. And it's tough. And it's hard. You know, so signs and wonders are not a shortcut, a shortcut to success and, and, and the ideal life. But they definitely have a part to play. And nowhere does Luke indicate that they cease at the end of you know, Acts 28. For Luke, this is all about getting back to how things should be in the book of Acts for every subsequent generation. Yeah. Yeah, I think where we get off the rails a little bit is when, like you said, we're pursuing those signs and wonders for them and uh, like just for themselves, like not, not trying to um, you know, go after lost people and see those things happen as lost people come to salvation but we're seeking them for our own spiritual gratification or our own experience rather than uh, for the sake of lostness and for the sake of bringing people into the kingdom. I'm, I'm thinking of um, uh, a couple of uh, workers in, let's say it's in a, um, um, a Middle Eastern setting and the, the, the area they or the city they live in is, is controlled by rival Islamic militias. <laughs> Well, what do you do in an environment like that? They're just wandering through the neighborhood looking for, for a God-prepared person, a person of peace. And 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 they they spy or they see a guy sitting outside his house, um, drinking coffee, sort of just resting as he engages people who are coming back and forth. His name they discover is Hassan. He's got his leg in a cast because he smashed his ankle in a motorcycle accident and they offered a pray and he was happy to receive prayer. He thanked them for it, but 
really, you know, I think they shared with him, but not much happened um, except that night he noticed his his uh, ankle was not giving him intense pain and um, he didn't need to take his painkillers by the next morning. Uh, we got a healing. And they promised to circle back and see him in the next few days. And they they came back and discovered someone who was ready to turn and believe in the Lord Jesus and uh, to be baptized as a disciple. And not only that, out of that, there have been uh, multiple streams of reproducing disciples and churches out of this one opportunity just to pray for a need in the community. I mean, he's have to had to face intense persecution, um, and yet uh, God used that prayer of healing. You know, and I, I think with signs and wonders, I look for the fruit. You know how can you know? Not only was he healed, so he can walk about on this foot, but what's the fruit in his life? Well, he's now pursuing the Lord Jesus as a disciple and the gospel's going out to others and and new churches are being formed. Um, And so I think today, um, let's let's not get sidetracked with signs and wonders. Let's use them where um, they should be, as Jesus did, as Paul and the apostles did, out with people in the community who need the love and truth of the Lord Jesus. And... um, and 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 yeah, there's no better thing than 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 you could do than just this couple in the you know Middle East saying, why don't we just walk our neighborhood and look for opportunities to connect with people and pray? Um, you you would just mention with Hassan, right? That he um, even though he got healed, he he turned and believed that persecution did follow. Mm-hmm. Um, persecution is obviously a huge theme through the Book of Acts, as we mentioned earlier. Um, that some it, it either went through, you know, the kingdom expanded either through miracles or martyrdom. Mm. Um, and so what what do you see on that second piece, Steve? Not only martyrdom, but also intense persecution and and when when all of these people are coming against the gospel and against the church, what do we learn from the book of Acts and and through your book um on that topic specifically? Well, you know, when uh, Jesus was presented at the temple, it was prophesied over him that, you know, he would divide Israel. It would be the cause of many rising and, and others falling, that a sword would, would, would pierce Mary's heart. And, you know, that prophecy was fulfilled. And wherever Jesus went, even to his hometown of Nazareth, they knew him better than anyone else. And they tried to throw him over a cliff. During the Gospels, the heat is on Jesus. But once we get to the book of Acts, (laughs) it shifts now to the disciples. And, um, you know, Jesus prophesied to his disciples. uh, You know, they persecuted me. They'll persecute you. And he said, this is what it'll be like. You know, you'll be be beaten. You'll be put on trial. You'll, You'll have to stand before kings and rulers. Uh, but I will be with you through the Holy Spirit. I will I will help you with what you need to say in that moment so you won't be alone. And you can take that prophecy, and I think it's Luke 21, and you can plot how it's fulfilled. <laughs> you know, you sort of think Jesus prayed a prophecy over me and now it's being fulfilled. Now, what was that prophecy? Well, I'll be beaten, I'll be chased out of town. 
Um, this is the pattern. And, you know, we hit the heights in, in Acts chapter 2 and then 3, 4, 5, you know, into, into 6, 7, and 8, there's trouble. Um, this is, and, and interestingly, this is the pattern of Acts, that there's this great sort of breaking out of the gospel, incredible things occurring, and then there's a pushback and a clampdown, and everybody goes quiet for a while or runs or, or, or leaves because it's so dangerous. And the outcome is even more proclamation of the gospel, even more trouble, <laughs> even more advancement. You know, this is a recurring cycle in Acts. You never get away from it, the, the reality of persecution. You know, and it, it reaches sort of fever pitch with, with Stephen, uh, who's martyred. And, you know, you can think of Stephen, you can think of Paul so mistreated. You know, what was it about these men and women that they could bear such suffering? And you, you probably said in your you know, darkest moments, like you probably wondered, would I come through a time like that and I'd still be faithful, you know? And it's sort of the wrong question to ask because what happened as the rocks are raining down on Stephen, he's having a vision of the glorious son of man, the Lord Jesus, standing at the right hand of the father. He's caught up in this glorious vision, and he dies well. He dies displaying the character of Christ, forgiving his persecutors. Why is that? Because he's in the presence of the Lord Jesus. Remember Jesus promised to his disciples, I'll be with you when you go through these fires. And that's why, you know, uh, Paul and, and Silas in the Philippian jail could be it's midnight, and they're worshiping the Lord while they 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 they're chained up after they've been beaten. And so, I think a couple of ins big insights for me. One was, um, it's the presence of the Lord Jesus that makes persecution uh, bearable. The other thing is, it's not just persecution of some terrified minority. You know, like in that prayer meeting in Acts four. This is a movement. The reason they're being persecuted is because we're not going to give up speaking and proclaiming the gospel in the name of the Lord Jesus. So this is a movement. It's not sort of, uh, you know, maybe we need legal protection against, you know, we're a persecuted minority. We want our rights. You know, well, that's fine. But they're, they're thinking more, hey, we're a movement that's going to the ends of the earth, and this is part of the battle. Yeah. You, you mentioned what, about Hussein. When he got home, his son and his brother, both of whom are Islamist militants, threw him out of the family home and destroyed all of his possessions. And he went on the run with his wife, both in their 60s, and he fled, literally fled to the mountains. Just like, you know, the believers were scattered when, when Stephen was martyred. And yet, what did he do in those mountains? Because he'd come, that's where he'd grown up, in the villages. He started leading people to Christ, making disciples, forming communities. About 30 people turned and believed, and he formed three churches 
in that region before they chased him out of the region. And he's still on the run today. Uh, and wherever he goes, the gospel goes and disciples are made and communities are formed. And, you know, we just need to be aware that it's not just about our comfort and our rights. But if we really want to pursue this movement of God, taking the gospel to the ends of the earth, there's going to be trouble. And Acts is a great source for understanding, well, how are we to respond to these attacks and not just be a persecuted minority, but, but you know, get the gospel out there. But we've grown a little soft in the West, uh, not being able to deal much with suffering and, and difficulty. Um, what do you think are some things that we need to really be thinking through in, in Western context and culture to kind of prepare our hearts for, uh, for what may be to come? Well, I think uh, it's worth keeping in mind that, you know, studies on persecution show there's, there's one thing more dangerous to the people of God than persecution, and that's power and privilege. And, you know, in those countries, I'm thinking especially Europe and Britain, where the church has been an established institution, in some places still supported by taxation. Um, you know, the, the Archbishop of Canterbury will, will crown the next king of England. So positions of power and, and leading to great influence, you're, you're in a lot of trouble. Those churches are, are, are in decline. And so we've got to free ourselves from the thought that somehow our churches have to have a seat at the table because right now in Western culture, they're saying, we don't want you. And, and, and those who are wedded to privilege and power are bowing the knee uh, and compromising biblical truth in, in, in order to keep their seat at the table. But, you know, the goal is not to be persecuted or, you know, is not to be persecuted or, or escape persecution. The goal is go make disciples, and, and Acts shows us how to do that, you know, connecting, gospeling, discipling, forming communities, multiplying workers. Go hard after that. That's the end game, not, not suffering or avoiding suffering. Just do that, and you'll find the Lord Jesus in that whether you suffer or you don't, whether you're persecuted or don't, whether there's breakthroughs or there aren't, you find God in the midst of what he's doing in the world. Like Hussein, you know, he he was um, picked up and interrogated for two weeks. And um, after he got out, and one of the big things for him is the, in his culture is the shame. You know, his Islamic background, so, you know, God's people, God's prophets should not be suffering, you know, and he's feeling the shame. And wisely, you know, those who've been discipling with him sat down and said, let's read the book of Acts together. And it didn't take him long before he explained, exclaimed, you know, I'm in this book. This is what's happening to me. It's not my fault. <laughs> this is for the glory of God. He found himself in the book of Acts. And that's what I would encourage you to do. Get into the book of Acts. Find yourself there because you're bearing witness, because you're making disciples. Um, yeah. And, you know, trouble will come. Yeah. Trouble will come. No, that's but beautiful. The Lord will be with you. 
Yeah, beautiful. Hey guys, listen, if you enjoyed the podcast today, um, honestly, these what we talked about has just been snippets from Steve's new book. It's called Acts and the Movement of God from Jerusalem to the Ends of the Earth. Um, listen, we want you to go and grab this as soon as possible. It is so powerful and so good. And Steve dives into all the topics we discussed even deeper and many that we didn't. And so if you want to find out how to get your copy, please go to movements.net and grab it as quick as you can. It's out now. Um, we know that you'll be blessed by it. We know that the Spirit is going to use it in a powerful way. Please tell your friends and get it as quick as you can. It's been an honor to be with you today, guys, and we hope you have a blessed day. Well, thanks for listening. Visit movements.net to find out how you can get your copy of Acts and the Movement of God. And if you enjoy the book, why not leave an Amazon review or spread the word on social media? It would be a great help. I'm Steve Addison for the Movements Podcast.